0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler, Associate Editor with Reader Views, Incorporated.
1: And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan.
2: And I'm Ken McLean from the Big Picture Press in Ann Arbor,
1: Michigan. And this evening, I'm happy once again to have Tyler, our special guest co-host this evening, Tyler is the author of the Marquette Trilogy and is launching his own author service bureau called SuperiorBookPromotions.com. Great. Tonight we're on the line with uh, Ken McLean from the Big Picture Press. He's the author of six books, including The Vibrational Universe, Harnessing the Power of Thought to Consciously Create Your Life, and Dialogues, Conversations with My Higher Self, and several e-books, including What to Do When All Hell Breaks Loose. And life's little instruction manual he's an expert on collaborative marketing using the internet, and Ken's main area of interest is the relationship between science and spirituality, and his conviction through personal experiences that consciousness is not biologically based. He holds bachelor's degrees in computer science and political science, and Ken is now the proprietor of his own uh, editing service bureau,
0: and that's going to be our topic for this evening. Cool. Welcome, Ken. I'm glad that you could join us, and uh, I'm very um, much surprised, first of all, to know you have a background in computer science, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you got started in editing, what made you want to be an editor, and uh, how you started out your own businesses in editing.
2: Well, mainly, uh, I got into computer science just as a sort of a second career. I I had a you used to have a contracting business for quite a while, home services contracting business and i couldn 't stand being at a desk all day, but uh, that kind of went down the tubes about ten years ago. Um, I just decided to start writing i don 't know why it was one of those things that I just felt I had to do so I started writing and uh, about a year ago, I started my own editing service and uh, i have just I have a couple of tips for authors who want to get their books published and how to, you know, what an editor is, what an editor does, and the points that an author should uh, take care of before he or she contacts the editor is going to save him or her a lot of money.
0: Well, I think one of the biggest um, problems that I see today with um, books, especially self-published books, is that the author, they try to cut the corners by not even having the book edited or thinking they're able to do it themselves, or maybe they have a friend who has an English degree and and can handle it themselves. So what is really the reason why an author needs an editor? Well, mainly
2: because I would say, and Victor would probably know this too, is that you don't know your own writing style. You don't know the patterns of your own writing. You don't know the mistakes in grammar you make. Basically, you don't know because you're too close to the material uh, how it's going to look to someone else. So that's why it's always really good to get an editor, or somebody, you know, professional who knows what they're doing, to look your book over and make suggestions. Because so sometimes they come up with stuff that uh, you have no idea. You go, oh, I didn't even see that.
0: And what are some of those tips that you mentioned that would be able to save a writer money before they send you the book?
2: Well, the first thing I want to talk about is the difference between a line edit and a substantive edit. You know, a a line edit basically is for a manuscript that's already in pretty good shape and just sort of needs to be tightened up to professional publishing standards. A substantive edit is for a really poorly written manuscript that requires rewriting by the editor. Now, you're going to be paying, uh, you know, the normal fee is what, about $5 per double-spaced sheet for a substantive edit? So... My suggestion to authors is why not learn to write well in the first place? Is you don't want the editor to rewrite your book. You know, you need to spend the time to look at your book, to think before you write, and to make sure that manuscript is in the best possible shape before you send it to the editor. So otherwise, you're just, you're just gonna be paying like ten times as much as you really should to really have a professional book.
0: And you, you mentioned that like the average price would be something like five dollars per a double spaced page. Um, do you find that most editors they charge per page or they charge per word i mean what what would a writer be expecting to pay for a book to be edited? Say the book is a hundred thousand words
2: Well you can as I was saying before, if your manuscript is poorly written, some editors will just reject the manuscript'll they'll say, look... Go and rewrite this thing again because it's going to cost you too much money. Um, for a line edit, for a manuscript that's it's fairly well written, you know, and that's um, that's got pretty good sentence structure and pretty good grammar and punctuation, you could probably expect to pay, you know, uh, eight to ten dollars per thousand words. At least that's that's what I charge. Uh, some editors might charge more. Some editors might charge less. So if you're talking, you know, ten dollars for uh, Of 1,000 words, then you can you can do the math and figure out how much it will cost. But
0: as they said, some
2: professional editing houses will simply reject your manuscript if it's not well written. And really, you don't you don't want to send that sort of a manuscript to anyone because the word might the word might get around, even though there's 400,000 books published last year. If you keep sending manuscripts to editors that are Not very well written. The word's going to get around. Don't even bother with this guy. You know.
1: Great. Um, Ken, is there is is copy editing this editing the same thing as line editing? I mean, I've seen both words used a lot.
2: Copy editing. But this is very strange. I I keep hearing my voice echoing back in my ear. I'm not really sure. I mean, what I, I, I call it a line edit. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what a copy edit is. All I know is that there's a real difference between a line edit, which basically what the editor does with a line edit is he just looks over the manuscript and he goes, okay, well, you know, this sentence structure here is bad. Correct that. You know, you need a punctuation here. Get rid of this space. Uh, put a semicolon in here et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you'll, he'll basically clean up the manuscript without having to rewrite it. But, you know, if the author sim- the author is not very good and he still wants the editor to do it, I mean, the editor will do it, but he'll charge you a fortune for it. I mean, if the editor has to redo sentences, I mean, why don't I just give you an example from a book I edited? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's see. Um, here's one. As far as wordiness, I mean, this was a book that I thought was a really good book, but it was filled with sentences like this. Quote, going well beyond genetics and family, which we may attribute to some of the inherent traits that influence consciousness, largely, our consciousness is formed through unconscious conditioning and is greatly influenced by our early upbringing." Now, I don't know if you can make any sense of that. I read that. <laughs>
1: I don't know what it means. I
2: read that ten times, and I hadn't a bloody clue what the person was saying. In fact, it was so poorly written that my comment was, I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. Are you? But what I've noticed is that authors get so excited about their material. They get so excited about their manuscript, and they dash it off, and they go, oh boy, this is the greatest thing. This is wonderful. It's going to sell a million copies. And they give it to the editor, and the editor looks it over, and he goes, huh? Uh, I had I edited a book by this um, PhDs. You know, he had five books published in the academic world. The guy's a genius. He sent me this book, and I swear, after ten pages, I was getting angry because it was so poorly written and the sentence structure was so boring and monotonous. And he was doing the same things over and over. After the second chapter, I went, okay, look, I can't do this anymore. I just sent the manuscript back to him, and I said, look, you have to rewrite this thing. So. He was, But he was so excited. He goes, oh, man, this is great. This is the most wonderful thing. But it really wasn't that wonderful because he was so familiar with the, with the material he wanted to write. It was all in his head, but he didn't translate it from his head out onto the page. And that's basically what an editor will help you do. An editor will help you translate your ideas from your head to the page. But my suggestion is to the author is to really think about what you're saying before you do it. And I have a bunch of other tips here, too. But, you know, think about what you're saying and look it over first before you send it to the editor.
0: Ken, do you find that that's a a common thing where authors, maybe especially um, authors who are part of academia or beginners, um, that they're overwriting, they're they're choosing, you know, three-syllable words or one word will do, or they're using... You know, extensive dialogue tags, like instead of just saying he said, she said, it'll be, you know, he deplored, she
2: sighed, <laughs> phrases like that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this uh, this one guy, I, I'm not going to mention his name, but he had published five books, academic books, and I was surprised because if he, that was the style of his writing. If that was good enough for academia, I wondered how anyone could read them. I mean really, I just, I wondered how could anybody read this stuff. So I think if you're an academic writer and you're switching over to fiction or even novel writing, I mean you really do have to take a step back and go, okay look, uh, this is not written for intellectuals, this is written for a general public, you know, target your audience. Who are you writing this book for? Right? I mean, when I, personally, when I write books, I write them because I'm inspired to write them and I write them for a more general audience. So, if you're in academia, you're gonna to have to, like I said, you're gonna to have to take a step back and you're gonna to have to say, look, my audience is probably gonna be much wider and you may want it to use a in, more informal style of writing rather than a sort of didactic, uh, dry, you know, droll sort of style. You're gonna to have to change your writing style for the, for the market that you're aiming at. That that, that would be
1: one of my suggestions.
0: Would you say that it's best to use a simple word as opposed to a a large word? Like, Would you recommend an author use the word use rather than utilize or make sure rather than ensure something along those lines?
2: Well, I don't really think that it's that important unless, well, there was a famous book written by the political scientist. I remember reading in college, this was a long time ago, man's name was Professor Ernst Haas. And I'll never forget it because this cat used if he could have used the word use, he would have used a twenty six letter word in place of it. And after I mean, I was just a college kid, right? I read this book and I went, Oh my god. This is this guy was like famous in his field too and I went, This book is unreadable. So I don't think you have to write down to your audience. Uh in fact I think it's it's very good if you treat your audience as intelligent. Because when people read a book, unless they're reading, you know, trashy romances if, if you're a serious writer you want to write serious prose and so it's always appropriate to use the appropriate word you know in the appropriate sentence not necessarily talk down to your audience but again don't, don't, don't just throw in big words to make yourself look good because believe me people who read that stuff they can, they can tell right off the bat oh god this guy's so pretentious who wants to read this stuff <laughs> right.
0: yeah it's like he's trying to lecture to the reader exactly rather than...
2: You know, I just got sent a book by by Victor, um, by this guy who wrote in the first person. Very difficult to write in the first person, but this guy wrote in a very conversational style, and it really worked. My suggestion would be that if you have any doubts, um, write conversationally. Like, imagine that you're across from someone and you're trying to tell someone about something, and, and write like that. Um when, you know, if you do enough writing, you'll find your own voice, and then it's not a problem. But especially for first-time authors, what I would say is, you know, write conversationally, and then you can clean up your manuscript after that.
0: And, and what is the difference really between um, choosing the right word and being wordy? Is wordiness a completely different kind of an issue?
2: Well, I would say that wordiness stems from a lack of attention to what you're saying, like for instance, the sentence that I just, I just read you, that person who wrote that sentence had an idea in her head, right? But when she put it down on paper, it was sort of a stream of consciousness thing. I mean, part of writing is to know what you want to say and to apply Occam's razor, right? I mean, the best word at the right time, you don't have to, you don't have to go on and on and on, but again, uh... you don't have to be really sure to just think about what you're saying right put it down on paper and then one of my main suggestions well, we haven't gotten to yet but one of my main suggestions is to read your prose out loud when you read your prose out loud and if you stumble or you hesitate it doesn't matter there's something in that sentence that's wrong it's bad grammar it's uh, incorrect word uh... incorrect punctuation a bad sentence structure whatever then take a look at the sentence again. Think about what you're really trying to say. Write it down again. Then read it out loud. And, and when you can read, say you know, say you have a whole paragraph. You can read that whole paragraph out loud, and it sounds really good to you. That's it. Then you've got it. You know, you found what you wanted to say. And you know, someone else reading it might go, Well, I might word this differently. An editor might word this differently. But a good editor will always recognize an author's voice, and will try to avoid rewriting the manuscript. I mean, an editor, I don't know about you, but an editor doesn't want to rewrite anyone's manuscript. It's just too time-consuming, right? So a good editor helps the author to express his or her ideas without uh, emasculating that person's book.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point about uh, the read-aloud. I've actually... Uh... Uh, found mistakes in a book that I was reading in public. <laughs> that way. So really? You can't. You can't do too much read aloud, in my opinion.
2: No, you can't. What? You know, and what I've discovered with my own books, Victor, is that you know I have a tendency to stutter sometimes when I'm when I'm uh, speaking. And so I have the tendency to go, oh well, that's just you know, that's I just couldn't get the word out. But no, I found every single time when I wrote the Vibrational Universe, I literally rewrote that manuscript. I edited that manuscript 50 times. Wow. I think it was over 50. It took me a it took me six months to write it, and it took me in a year and a half to edit it. <laughs> uh, because I would read the thing over and I would go, oh my God, you know, I thought that sentence was good, but it really wasn't. Finally, I got the book. You know, I I got that book pretty much exactly what I wanted to say at the time, and so I published it. But it's I just sort of lost my train of thought there. But um, yeah, read, read 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 your stuff out loud really because every any I've I've I found that the rule of thumb really works. If it's, if you're struggling, if you're struggling reading it, you're stopping, you're pausing for any reason, there's something wrong with that sentence. Go back, look it over, and correct it. Sometimes it'll be something really, really simple. Other times you may have to, like, reword the sentence.
1: Yep, very good advice. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, fiction in particular, because a lot of our listeners are fiction writers, and I'm sure that you've picked up a lot of, of tips around writing effective, uh, prose for fiction.
2: Right. Well, well you, know, you know, the main, the main thing, thing I, would I would suggest is try to show it and not and say it. Uh, uh, I, you know, know, I have a I background, know, background in political, political science. science. I have a background and in computer science. science. I'm kind of a techie and myself. And, and when, when I, wrote I wrote my first novel, novel, I had a tendency to just kind of, okay, I'm just going to say what's going on, right? I'm going to write this, and this mm-hmm. is what happened, and that's what happened, and this is what happened. Man, and I... I I wrote the material, and I went, boy, this is really good. Then I read it out loud. I read it back, and I went, God, this is dull. I mean, this does not sound right, right? I mean, a good fiction writer has to know dialogue. And for that, you need experience. What I've discovered is that if you don't have any experience in a field, you can kind of make up dialogue, and that's, and that's really, really good. But it helps, like, if you're writing... If you're writing about uh crime fiction let's say uh, it would it would help maybe to go down to a police station and to uh hang around there for a while. I mean that's what um oh, what's that famous writer Elmore
1: Leonard. Uh, Elmore Leonard.
2: Elmore Leonard did yeah, he went down to the Detroit Police Department and he just hung out there for for weeks. That's where he got his his dialogue right. So that's, that's, that's the first thing. Try to, try to say it. Try to have your characters say it. I mean, obviously when you're writing, you have to, you have to set the scene, right? Like if the character is entering a room, and that room is important in the story, then telling the reader what's in the room and how it looks can be very helpful. I mean, but you don't have to spend a lot of time at this, right? Alright, the second thing I would say is describe what's going on in the character's head and any supporting characters. I mean, one of the most difficult aspects, at least for me, of fiction writing is describing how a character is thinking and feeling. But when this is done really, really well, it can give the reader, in a very few sentences, a good idea of the character, and that will last throughout the whole book. And when it's poorly done or not at all, your your characters are cardboard cutouts because the reader has no idea what they're thinking and feeling. Now, I'm gonna read you a sentence from one of my absolute favorite writers of all time, in the English language, and her name is Georgette Heyer. And this is Georgette Heyer describing a character. Actually, it's one character describing another, and it's, it's just one sentence. And I'm, I'm just going to read this for you. Quote, As Mr. Rivenhall's notion of making himself agreeable in company was to treat with cold civility anyone for whom he felt no particular liking and his graces, far from winning, included a trick of staring out of countenance those who, whose pretensions he deprecated and of uttering blighting comments which put an abrupt end to social intercourse. He stood in far greater danger, Mr. Witchbold said, of being mistaken for a Yahoo. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I come across that sentence in that book, I'm just amazed. I mean, in one sentence, he's totally described Mr. Rivenhall's temperament one sentence from the point of view of mr Witchbold, you also get a little bit of insight into mr Witchbold's character in just that one sentence it's just it's utterly absolutely brilliant
1: yeah we can almost conjure up a physical description of him even though he hasn't said you know he's six foot three etc cetera, etc cetera.
2: exactly <laughs> and, and this is another example tyler that we were talking about before georgia hires is one of the most popular writers of all time at least in England, and if you notice, she uses a lot of big words, right? Cold civility, um, staring out of countenance those whose pretensions he deprecated, you know, And but then she uses really forceful words like uttering blighting comments, right? Putting an abrupt end to social intercourse. I mean, that's... That in that one sentence, if you could if you could write like that, you would probably be a best selling writer. Just just I mean, you probably wouldn't even have to to uh, promote your book. People would read it and they would go, Oh my God, this is so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you can just tell that she spent a great deal of time finding the right word and not giving up until she found the right word.
2: And that's what Jane Austen did. Uh, from what I've studied about Jane Austen, she would write her manuscripts, then she would go over them. And she would go over them. And she would read them out loud to her family members. And she'd go, well, what do you think of this? You know, does this sound right? Does that sound right? And she'd go back and she'd rewrite it again. And then she'd rewrite it again. and She'd rewrite it again. And, it again. and Jen, you know, Jane Austen is generally acknowledged as maybe the finest writer uh, in the English language, or certainly one of the finest. And I, I would put Georgia and right up there with her, too. It's just it's the way you use language you know what i mean it's and you can tell that she's not being pretentious she's not being high-handed that's just her writing style and it just communicates <laughs> the information about these characters to you in such an entertaining fashion that it just makes you want to read more
0: well i wanted to um turn the conversation a little bit towards different ways of Editing, I'm curious to find out how you prefer to do editing. Do you do you print out the sheets of paper and then sit there with a pen and go through them or do you prefer to edit on the computer and what do you think are the strengths and the weaknesses of doing each?
2: Well, my eyes aren't that good and so I always prefer editing on the computer because what I can do is I can set the fonts as large as I want and I can make them you know, I can really see the material and I can get a good handle on it. I think a lot of people would benefit, though, from printing out, uh, people who don't have such bad eyesight as I do, because the reader is more than likely going to be reading a hard copy copy of your book, right? And it just helps if you're sitting there with your your pencil and you can see the stuff written right out there in black and white, and then you can kind of make your little arrows and your little editing comments. And, uh, it's, sometimes it's much easier doing it that way just to have the hard copy. But me, I mean, I, I sit in front of my desk for 12, 12 hours a day, and I'm just so used to the computer that I couldn't imagine editing, uh, anywhere else. But I think for some people it would probably be better for them just to, just to print it out.
0: And have you Have you found that editing has changed or become easier as we become more uh we we get more advanced versions of software programs like uh Microsoft Word for example, where we'll underline you know misspelled words and
2: oh yeah that's that's i'm glad you mentioned that that's really helpful yeah make sure you turn on the, if you're editing in Microsoft Word turn on the underline there's a whole bunch of menus in there i'm not exactly sure what it is, but you can find you can go in there and you can you can make sure that misspelled words are underlined and there's a whole series of of, of menus that you can check off uh what I do is I always have paragraph marks and um yeah i have I have paragraph marks and uh line feed marks, and I always put my view in uh print layout and then I set my fonts that to uh, a size that's comfortable for me and then what i do is very often i'll just read the manuscript out loud uh when i'm on the computer i don't think that's quite as important when when you have a a printout but for me i found that when i when i read it out loud it really helps me to identify errors
0: and I, i know i myself i usually um when i'm editing i usually have the the invisibles on so i can see all the little spaces Yep. Because yep. I've, I've found, with my own books, I have found um, when they have sent me back the proofs, there's things that are in the wrong spots. If I haven't done that, you don't notice these extra spaces on the page.
2: Well, that's interesting because if you set the menus in Word right, Word, if there's an extra space, it'll give you this little squiggly line, this green yep. squiggly line. And so every every place you see a green squiggly line, you just push your delete button, and then you can make sure that there's no No extra spaces, but what I've found out with editing and just, and writing in general is the more you write and the more you edit, the easier it gets to identify errors. Like, I can, I can look at a page and, you know, really, really quickly see if there's any bad punctuation or like a semicolon. Too, too many.
0: One of my
2: favorite pet peeves is, is, Long sentences with like five or six <laughs> semicolons in there. There's nothing more boring than trying to read a sentence that goes on and on and on and you have to sort of stop, right? And then you start again and you come across another semicolon and, oh, okay. Well, the author's, author's obviously wants me to stop because he's got it. a complete thought and he's starting another one. But what i found is people who use semicolons too much, their thoughts are disjointed. So what you've got is you've got this sentence with three or four semicolons in or whatever, and it's totally disjointed. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, what I always suggest um, the writers do is instead of doing run-on sentences with semicolons, make your sentences mean something. One thought equals one sentence. You know, make sure that you put a period where you need to put a period and not just to run on. Now, Georgia, higher, like in the sentence that I just read, that was one sentence. But she knows how to use she used, let's see, she used one semicolon, she used two EM dashes, and she used um, three commas. And that, and that long sentence was perfect. I mean, it was perfectly structured. It was perfectly punctuated. And it just, it read so perfectly. Did, did you notice that? I mean, you have to know, like, how to use the EM dash, for instance. Like, when she says, and his graces, EM dash, far from winning, EM dash. Included a trick of staring out of countenance, right? And that was the perfect thing to do. If she had used a comma, the sentence would have gone a little too quickly. If she had used a semicolon, you probably, to me, I would have probably stopped a little bit. You know, my attention would have been drawn to that. But using the em dash, it kind of, I kind of slid right through that sentence, understanding that the, the the phrase far from winning was just was just an emphasizer, right? And then she used the commas perfectly to make the sentence go. Like, you use a comma when you want a very slight pause. You use a semicolon when you want a long pause. And you use, the, to me, and you use the EM dash when you just want to use a side thought. But, of course, you can overdo all that stuff, right, as I'm sure you've experienced, Tyler.
0: Well, and what's what's interesting about that is it goes back to what you were saying before about reading the, the work out loud and I know that people when they, when they turn to becoming public speakers, what they don't really get at first is that you're not just standing up there and speaking or it's not like you're just reading something out loud. You need to pause for the reader or, or for the listener to hear and be able to follow the sentences and that's, I mean, I'm sure she must have read those sentences out loud and put those semicolons or, or dashes in there specifically for that reason, for that effect.
2: Exactly, and while I've joined Toastmasters, it's because I felt, uh, that I needed to learn how to speak, and that's, uh, Tyler, that's my one main flaw, is that I don't pause enough. Every time I give a speech at Toastmasters, they say, you know, that was a really interesting speech, but you didn't give us time to digest your material. You know,
1: <laughs> you're
2: trying to get so, trying to say so much stuff and try to impress the audience so much with all my data, right? And all my brilliance. That I never give them time to digest my material, and so I lose them about halfway through. And that's the same, it's the same thing with writing. Proper use of punctuation. Oh my God, the proper use of punctuation is very, very important. People go, oh, well, you know, what the heck? It's just, it's just a colon, what the heck does that mean? You oh, know, it's a EM dash, so what? But really, if you understand how to use these things, they're very, very powerful. And if you don't understand how to use them, man, your sentences can just be disasters.
0: Well, so that brings me to my next question. If you don't know how to use them, where do you go for help? Is there a certain... Is there a certain style guide that you use, and what are the benefits of that? If you're
2: well, yeah, that was another one of my suggestions. Is if you're in doubt about uh, how to use punctuation, or sentence structure, or grammar, or the proper use of words, go get a copy of the Chicago Manual of Style and study it uh, when I'm writing if I have a question I open up that thing and I just look at it all, all the time my second suggestion is to read writers who can write that's the most important thing like I said I, I've read George Heyer's books each of, one of them two or three times it's because she's such an incredible writer not only of, of narrative and of prose but she also is a wonderful writer of dialogue So if you're, if you're, especially if you're writing novels, I mean, I mean, why is David, why is David Mamet so popular? Because his his dialogue is so fantastic. I mean, if David Mamet writes a manuscript, I mean, he's probably got five movie producers, you know, ready, willing, and eager to to uh, make that into a movie. And why is that? Because man, that that guy knows how to write dialogue. And I have never seen one of his manuscripts, but I would imagine that he has a really excellent understanding of grammar and punctuation and the proper use of words. And, you know, the Chicago Manual Style isn't going to tell you how to write, but what it will do is it will give you guidelines about, if you, like, if you have any questions, you know, should I use an, uh, an, uh, a but here or should I use however? Let's see, what did Winston Churchill say? Oh, yes, this is a, one of the things I found in the Chicago Manual Style was the rule of writing that you should never end your sentences with a preposition Mm-hmm. And you know the Chicago manual style says, I mean that's just a myth. Uh, and I think they quote Winston Churchill. What, is, what did he say? He said, "That is something up with which I will not put."
1: Right? I
2: mean, I mean come on, right? That's something that I'm not going not going to put up with. Well, so what? Use the preposition at the end, right? It just it's just like anything else. If you overdo it, then the reader is going to get bored. And that's, I think, from editing, that's one of the main things that I've found is that people have a particular style of writing. I mean, they're really, really um, enamored of writing in a particular way, and they do that over and over and over and over over again. Um, But if you read really good writers, uh, they don't do that. I mean, they vary their language. They vary their punctuation. And, And... Another thing that I want to suggest to authors is that try not to use the same word uh, in the same sentence over and over again. I mean, I've noticed that even sometimes with good writers, they'll, they'll use one word in one sentence, and then in the next sentence, in the same paragraph, they'll use the same word, or they'll use it in the same sentence twice. I mean, you know, get your thesaurus out. Make your language exciting. Make it... Uh, Yeah, make it uh, interesting to the reader. Don't keep using the same words over and over. Because, you know, writers can get into bad habits just like anybody else can. And the whole purpose of writing is to communicate your message. And the best way to communicate your message, obviously, is through the proper use of language. So what I would suggest is don't hesitate to break out the thesaurus. I mean, don't just use a synonym, just just to use it, but then again, don't keep using the same sentence structure and words over and over again, and that's what an editor can help you with. I mean, that's one of the main things an editor can help you with is is improving the liveliness of your language, improving the interestingness of your language, Uh, and so that's why I would suggest uh, if you're an author, you know, do what you can do as much as you can to get your manuscript ready, and then let somebody else look at it, preferably a professional. Right, Tyler?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point about uh, word repetition. Uh, one manuscript that an author sent me, I actually uh, pulled out a concordance, which is an interesting tool that basically gives you a histogram of how often you've used each particular word. Really? And I, I pointed out to her, you know, you used word blo- this word 75 times. <laughs> Could you please oh find something else? <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of, well, trialware anyway, things that will do concordances for you.
2: Interesting. I'd I never heard of that.
1: Yeah some people use it to build indexes, you know, oh, okay. figuring that the words used most often I guess should be indexed. I'm not really sure what the rationale is. Oh, I see what you're saying, right. So there's a lot of things you can understand just by doing a concordance of your, of uh, your words. What I want
2: to I want to make one more point before before we leave and there's there's a book that I just finished reading by World Scientific Press. It's by Professor Kirsten Huang and uh, I don't have it before me, but it's basically about uh, gauge fields in, in physics. This is the one of the most beautiful books I have ever seen. The cover was designed by a master artist, and the interior was formatted. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. This book is beautiful. As I started to read it, though, on the very first page, I looked at it and I went, oh, wait a minute, there's an editing mistake here. And then as I continued to read the book, I I realized that there were a whole bunch of editing mistakes in this book. And, you know, why publish this gorgeous book with a beautiful cover and the paper, you know, thick paper, wonderfully formatted that has editing errors in it? It just, especially in an academic, a serious academic work. That's just a no-no. And you know, I suppose if you're writing uh, a trashy romance novel, it's probably not that important. (laughs) But but still, I mean, you need you need an editor, right? You need you need somebody who's skilled in language and grammar and punctuation to look over your material, and to look at it from a reader's point of view, right? I mean, you're writing the book for readers. Some some authors forget that they're writing the their books for readers. Right? Some authors go, oh man, I'm so excited about this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just, I think this is wonderful. Yeah, but you know, you fail to express anything that a reader could really uh, understand. So, my suggestion is get your books edited.
1: Great. And, uh, let's, let's hear all of your websites, uh, so our listeners can uh, have a look and find out more about you.
2: Well uh my main website is uh, kjmaclean.com that's k j m a c l e a n.com uh i'm i am redoing all of my websites right now in fact i've been burning the midnight oil <laughs> for the past month testing <laughs> up to 1:30 in the morning uh so those websites will all be completely redone but uh, you can find free movies and you can find free books you can find Dozens of articles on those websites, Uh and uh, I have a number of other websites, but you can find them all through uh, www.kjmaclean.maclean.com. Great. Uh, you can also go to my
1: my uh,
2: editing website, which is uh, mcleanediting.com, macleanediting.com. M a c l e a n editing.com. This is a really fun conversation.
1: Well, thank you, Kenneth. It's been really informative, and for myself and Tyler, we've learned quite a lot here. And I just want to remind our listeners that this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back on the air in two weeks with special guest Jim Cox of the Midwest Book Reviews, and our topic will be all about book reviews. Ooh, sounds good. Yeah, that's going to be fun. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Wolfman in Ann Arbor, Michigan wishing you all a good evening.